This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where state lawmakers are gearing up for an epic battle over abortion rights that will play out this week on the Senate floor and in the corridors outside the chamber. Some of the businesses that help pay for Florida's private school voucher program say they're not going to contribute anymore because many of the schools that accept those vouchers have anti-LGBTQ policies. There's a bill to ban that sort of discrimination, but the chair of the Senate Education Committee says it's not going to happen and he doesn't see a problem. First Lady Casey DeSantis is opening the governor's mansion to children who want to read. They've set up a children's section in the library at the governor's mansion and are inviting kids to take part in story time. After years of being neglected, state employees actually may get a raise this year, but the House and Senate have very different plans. Our guest for today's Sunrise interview is Craig Pittman of the Tampa Bay Times, who talks about the fight to save the Florida Panther from extinction. We'll also have your daily calendar of political events, and we'll check in with a Florida man busted for a slur, and the Florida woman who went Chuck Norris on a neighbor for refusing to allow her kids to attend a birthday party. And now, the top stories on Sunrise for Monday, February 3rd. This is the week when Republicans in the state Senate will take the next step to limit abortion rights in the Sunshine State. Their vehicle is Senate Bill 404, requiring parental consent when a minor wants an abortion. Senator Kelly Stargell's bill made it to the floor Wednesday on second reading. It's up for a final vote later this week. Read the next bill. Committee substitute for committee substitute for Senate Bill 404, a bill to be entitled an act relating to abortion. Senator from the 22nd, Senator Stargell, you recognized on the bill. Thank you, Mr. President. This bill protects a minor, girl who's, minor girls who are pregnant and are considering an abortion by involving at least one of their parents or legal guardians in their decision-making process. The bill also protects the fundamental right of a parent to raise their child as they see fit without government intrusion. The bill addresses concerns raised by the Florida Supreme Court that a judicial waiver process must be available for minors under certain circumstances, such as abuse or when a waiver from parental consent is in the child's best interest. And finally, the bill increases the penalty for violating the Infants Born Alive Act from a first-degree misdemeanor to a third-degree felony. And that is the bill. Democrats who oppose Stargell's bill offered a series of amendments to try to undermine the parental consent bill. Senator Gary Farmer suggested that any parents who refuse to allow their daughter to have an abortion should then have to assume financial responsibility for the child. The decision to have a child is, is perhaps the most uh, serious uh, and long-range commitment type of decision that anybody can make. Uh, it also carries with it significant uh, financial obligations and responsibilities. Um, the total cost for a single parent uh, to raise a child uh, under the lowest uh, median income is at a very minimum uh, almost $250,000. And that is providing minimal, minimal food, clothing, and shelter. Raising a child often will cost much more than that. The actual delivery of a child um, for a natural birth uh, without insurance can cost $15,000. Uh, a C-section can cost $20,000. By allowing a parent to veto a young woman's decision to have an abortion, we are thereby thrusting that young woman into an extreme financial responsibility that she does not wish to take on. And if a parent is going to have that veto right, I think that parent should assume the financial responsibility for that child. We talk about individual responsibility and financial responsibility here uh, on a regular basis, and I think we should be consistent with that theme, and, uh, and that a parent who, or guardian who vetoes 
uh, the young woman's decision should have the uh, financial obligation to care for that child. One by one, the Democrats offer their amendments. One by one, they were rejected by the Republican majority. Stargell's bill is now on third reading and could be approved during Tuesday's floor session, but it's more likely to be passed during Thursday's session when they have more time to deal with the issue. The Senate is holding its annual reunion tomorrow, so they'll only have about 45 minutes to do the real work, and that's not going to be enough time for all the floor speeches about the parental consent bill. Either way, opponents are planning a demonstration and an occupation outside the Senate chamber when the abortion bill is approved. Speaking of kids and awkward segues, First Lady Casey DeSantis has unveiled something new in the governor's mansion. They've set aside two bookshelves in the mansion library just for kids. One of the skills that we believe uh, that is foundational to the future success of our students is instilling reading, uh, the ability to learn how to read and read well, reading comprehension. Uh, studies show that it only takes 20 minutes per day to vastly improve a child's ability to read. Uh, one year, a child who reads for 20 minutes a day is exposed to more than 1.8 million words. Uh, so giving extra time to reading is important. So we're here in Literacy Week because we're excited to do something a little special at the Governor's Mansion. Uh, and basically, first step of that is to, and let me take a step back. So the beautiful uh, library that you see here was a great addition from Governor Jeb Bush. Uh, every governor puts their mark on the mansion in some way or another. Our children are currently putting orange crayon marks on the walls, but we're working on magic eraser to get that up. But a meaningful mark is what the governor did here, and I thought it was a spectacular addition. Uh, and when we have been in this room a lot, we spend a lot of time here with our family, uh, we were looking around and we thought, wouldn't it be nice to be able to have a children's section uh, and really put an emphasis on reading, uh, and, and just children's books. And so today, that is one of the announcements that we're making, that we're going to be dedicating a portion of the library specifically to children and calling it the Children's Corner. In addition to that, what we're excited about, just as we open up the People's House to tours for the general public, we also want to open up the mansion for story time. So on the website, you'll be able to go and, uh, and find and schedule a time where you can come here with your children uh, and be able to do story time at the governor's mansion. And so that's a neat addition. We want to open that up to uh, families and students all across the state. Uh, and also, we want to ask people to donate books. If there are people out there that would like to donate children's books or chil ch children authors, uh, we would love for them to send them to the mansion, and we would love to fill these, uh, these available spaces with as many books as possible. Uh, so it's an exciting day. I think it's a neat addition. I don't have to tell you how meaningful this is, um, having a three-year-old, 23-month-old, and one on the way. And we've been combing the history books, and I don't think we have seen in the history of this state three children, three and under, running around the governor's mansion. Uh, so we will be utilizing uh, this reading quarter quite a bit, and I hope that the people of this state will also take advantage of this new addition. During that press conference, 23-month-old Mason DeSantis got a bit fidgety in his mother's arms and managed to knock over my microphone. Many thanks to Senator Manny Diaz, who was standing next to the podium and was kind enough to put it back.
Diaz chairs the Senate Education Committee, and he's a big supporter of the Florida Tax Credit Scholarship Program. That's the school voucher system that gives parents the chance to send their kids to private schools on the public dime. Companies that owe taxes to the state can get out of paying them if they donate an equal amount of money to the voucher program, which can then be used to pay tuition at private schools. Now, several corporate donors have announced they will not be taking part in the voucher program anymore because a lot of that money goes to schools that discriminate against gay kids or kids with gay parents. An investigation by the Orlando Sentinel revealed more than 80 private religious schools accepting those vouchers have policies that ban gay and transgender students based on their beliefs. Many more schools expressed opposition to same-sex marriage and transgender identity. And Senator Diaz is okay with that because he says the state's not endorsing discrimination. The parents are. So, so what I would say is obviously individual donors make individual decisions for themselves. Uh, but, but this program is designed, number one, the, the money goes to the parents. The parents make the decision. And a parent's never going to put a child in a situation that's not beneficial for the child. And, and if, it, if it's not beneficial, they have the ability to move them. So uh, the, the interesting part about all of this and all these reports is you, you hear of these alleged policies, but we have not had one single person come forward and actually say, we've been discriminated against or we've had an issue with this at this school or that school. So it's interesting. It seems to me like there's clearly an agenda behind this. Um, But at the end of the day, what makes school choice so powerful is that those parents are going to put that child, their child, in the best possible situation. And we need to continue to give them that option because they're always going to choose whatever is best for them. And if that doesn't work, they have the ability to pick up and move and take it somewhere else. And, And I think that's what makes the program so powerful. Parents are in charge of their kids and they have to make decisions. And anytime the government starts meddling in that, that's when we run into trouble. And so, I, what, you know, while I, while I think uh, there's always the, 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 the ability to review and look at things and have conversations, I think what makes this program special is the fact that parents have control. When we start wandering into those questions about, well, do we take control away from the parents that, that's, and, and give it to the government, that's, that's when we get in trouble. What about you know, the argument that public money shouldn't subsidize uh, private schools that have anti- we're not subsidizing private schools. We're subsidizing parents. We're giving parents their money back. They're taxpayers. We're giving them the opportunity. The premise behind it is that we're giving the parents the opportunity to direct their funds to educate their child. And, and you know, if we go back historically and looked at, at the inception of public education in our country, it started with private education. It started with the fact, you know, with common schools and that. It, it, was, it was neighbors and, and communities giving value to uh, education. And the reason that became important is because our founders were very clear that in order to sustain the republic that had been founded, you had to have an educated populace. And that's why communities are important, parents are important. And again, that's why we have a plethora of options across the state, a private, public, you know, charter, all of that, virtual. So I think that, uh, again, like, you know, um, if we have can have conversations about improving things, that's great. But at the end of the day, the premise is that it's on the parent and, and there just has not been a, a doc, you know, nobody has come forward with a case where anything has happened. So again, I think there's a, there's a bit of an agenda behind this. There is indeed an agenda. There are some lawmakers who believe schools receiving state money should not be allowed to discriminate. But Diaz says they're not going to change the law because then the state would be interfering with the choice made by parents. Now, some of you old-timers may remember this argument. It's pretty much the same thing politicians said in the 50s and 60s, when public schools were forced to desegregate and white parents put their kids in segregated private schools. 
ABC Fine Wine and Spirits is the latest company to announce it will stop donating to the Florida Tax Credit Scholarship Program until it stops providing money to schools that discriminate against LGBTQ and transgender students. Wells Fargo, Fifth Third Bank, Cigar City Brewing, and Wyndham Destinations also announced decisions to halt donations to the voucher program within the past week. Some good news for state employees who haven't had a real pay raise in years. The new budgets introduced in the House and Senate, well, they include salary increases for most state workers, but in very different ways. The Senate wants to provide a 3% raise across the board. The House plan calls for an $1,800 a year raise for workers who make less than $50,000 a year. The State Workers Union is delighted that something actually might happen because salary talks have been deadlocked for months. Florida consistently ranks among the lowest in the country when it comes to average state employee salaries. Next up, we talk with one of the best environmental reporters in the state. Craig Pittman of the Tampa Bay Times has a new book telling the story of how we almost exterminated the official state animal, the Florida panther. This is Sunrise from Florida Politics. The Florida Hospital Association is inviting healthcare leaders from around the state for Hospital Day in the Legislature in Tallahassee on February 3rd and 4th. The summit will include a briefing in the chamber of the Florida House of Representatives, as well as provide meeting opportunities with key legislators. Members may register online at the Florida Hospital Association site at FHA.org. Again, please register at FHA.org. Welcome back to Sunrise. Our guest in the studio today is an old friend, Craig Pittman. He is an environmental reporter with the, what used to be the St. Petersburg Times, and you know, God help me, I will always refer to it as that, <laughs> but is now the Tampa Bay Times. That's correct. And also an author with a brand new book coming out about the tales of the Florida Panther, but first I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for being the inspiration for our Florida Man segment. Um, for those of you who are regular listeners, you know we close every show with Florida Man. Craig is the man who got me interested in that just because he's one of these people who tracks Florida Man. So what is it that makes Florida Man so special to you? Um, well, I think uh, partly because Florida Man does things that most people would not think to do. Or if they thought of it, they would never try it. Um, uh, you know, shooting at a hurricane. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, one of my favorites, the guy who was steering his Cadillac down the road while having his head stuck out the the uh, sunroof. Uh, and when the cops pulled him over, uh, he said, take me to jail. I'd rather go there than home. Yeah, um, understand uh, that. Yeah, some problem with the wife, I guess. Uh, so that's part of it. And part of it, too, is that sometimes it's stuff where you go, wait, what were they thinking? And uh, uh, that's always an intriguing question to pursue as well. Plus, we have the best animal sidecast in yes. the world. Yes. I mean, you, you, we've got not just gators. We've got crocodiles. We've got pythons. We've got... Panthers, as you write right. about. We've this got past bears. week, we had frozen iguanas falling out of the trees. And someone's going to do a song about that to the tune of Raindrops Keep Falling on I My think Head. So. But it'll if be they haven't already. If they haven't already, they, they if, will. If they, uh, so over the years, you've covered a lot of these weird Florida stories. Did you have a particular favorite or one that just said to you that this is the ultimate Florida man story? Um, I don't think we've hit that combination of uh, exploding meth lab, uh, uh, nakedness, and uh, uh, machete swinging. Uh, with pythons that would be necessary to be the ultimate Florida man story. But we've had quite a few stories that if we had a Florida weirdness hall of fame, I think they'd go in on the first ballot. Right. Um, you got to have guns in there too. Well, some. Um, um, uh, a favorite one of mine from history from 1930. Uh, there was a guy who called himself a European count. He's more of a no account uh, named Carl von, von Castle. He uh, was working as an x-ray technician in Key West and he fell in love with one of his patients, the beautiful Maria. And his love for her transcended death. 
And by that, I mean that after she died, he dug up the body and lived with it for nine years uh, until her sister found out, of course, was horrified, reported into the authorities. He was arrested and charged with uh, desecration of a grave, but he got off. In Yeah, no, never mind. Because... Uh, <laughs> I wish you hadn't put it that way. Because, uh, phrasing, because <laughs> um, uh, the statute of limitations had run out. Seven years? Yeah. It had been going on for what, 13 Nine. years? Nine years. Okay. Nine, yeah, yeah. So well, a tribute to the Florida man who understands the that's law. That's right. And to the state legislature and its great wisdom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we will, I'm sure we'll have some good Florida Man stories at the end of this podcast. They just haven't been written yet. Yes. So let's move on to your book here. It's called Cat Tale. That's and, correct. And you can't even spell tail right. T-A-L-E. <laughs> well, the, it's because it's a story. The Wild Weird Battle to Save the Florida Panther. Yes. Tell me about it. Uh, well, um, as some people know, probably not a lot of people, uh, the Florida Panther is our official state animal. Not the gator, not uh, not the python, certainly, uh, and not those frozen iguanas falling out of the trees. But uh, could but be, but not yet. It could be, but the panther is our official state animal, chosen by Florida school children in 1981, and uh, as a result, they made it a sort of a high profile figure. And then by 1995, they were nearly extinct. And the only thing that saved them from extinction was the efforts of the sort of ragtag band of biologists, veterinarians, et cetera, who uh, ended up trying something they'd never been tried before and managing to succeed. And what they tried was bringing in some neighbors. Yes, exactly. I mean, I go into a lot of detail in the book about why that ended up being the only possible choice. Uh, but, yeah, they, they ended up having to bring in some cougars from Texas. And the guy who brought them in is quite – he's one of the more amazing characters I've ever encountered. It's a, a tracker named Roy McBride who um, uh, is just this classic sort of Hollywood type. He always wears a white Stetson. He's got this face that looks like it was made out of granite. Uh, he rarely talks much. He's much more comfortable dealing with his hounds than with people. Um, but his story of going out to capture these Texas cougars is just it. Even though it comes at a very low point in the in the fate of the panther in the book, it's one of the funniest things I've ever heard. And it, to me, it's the comic highlight of the book. Also, if it, I don't want to give it away, but it it involves a blind mule, a, a blindfolded mule. So this is trying to find female panthers yes, in the wild. Yes, yeah, I female cougars. Yeah, only imagine what you would use a blind mule for a lure. Blindfolded. 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 Okay. Yeah, yeah, not as a lure, as a form of transportation. Ah, because the mule was scared of the cougars. But if you blindfold the mule and just lead them on. Right. They don't fine. know it's there. Yeah. <laughs> even if, even when they got one on their back. Yeah. Now, I remember all the hoopla there. There were a lot of people saying, well, no, that's not fair because this is adulterating the species. This isn't the Florida panther anymore. This is mm -hmm. the Texas cougar. They brought in, they only brought in eight uh, and to breed. And by keeping it small, keeping the number very small, they were able to avoid having the cougar genes sort of swamp the panther genes. There have been a couple of genetic uh, reviews since then, one I think as recent as last year, that found that they are what they produced is still a Florida panther, genetically a Florida panther. Okay. So it's still a Florida man. Yes, exactly. All right. Well, that Florida cat. Seems fair enough. <laughs> now, you're also an environmental reporter, so you must yes. have been following what's going on now with, with the state animal and the threat of MCORs and, and this yes. talk of putting a super highway right through panther country yeah, again. exactly. Um, and I mean, it's... Um, it's interesting to me that the uh, the people who are on the advisory committees for all these highways keep saying, why are we doing this again? Like They, they, they can't quite understand the, the point of it. Um, my favorite story I've written about this, though, doesn't involve Panthers. It involves another state uh, because uh, one of the three toll roads is supposed to take the Suncoast Parkway, which is a very little used highway anyway, and extend it all the way to Georgia. And I got to thinking while people were talking to this, I thought, 
has anybody told Georgia this is coming? And so I actually called the Georgia TOT and they said, do what now? You're what? <laughs> Nobody had told them. They had no idea. And they were like, why would it? Why would you do that? Because the area that it would join up in Georgia is is like very rural. There's nobody there. And and I called some of the uh, some of the local transportation people in that particular Georgia county, and they said, yeah, there ain't been much traffic up here since y'all closed the dog track down there in Florida, <laughs> right across the county line. And that was like eight or nine years yeah. ago. So they were like, why? What? What are you doing? Why do you want to do that? They they had lots of questions. And nobody told them. And, you know, it doesn't really matter now, does it? It's, it's going to happen. Someone in Florida wants these roads to happen. So, yeah. The, the well, I mean, it, I thought it was kind of interesting that Senator Galvana, I, I, I called him up and asked him about it. And he said he made this proposal right after meeting with the Florida Transportation Builders Association yeah. and the Florida Chamber of Commerce, both of which had made large contributions to his PAC. Not that there's any connection. No, there. no, no. Listen, perish no. the thought. Yeah. Could never happen like that. <laughs> so bottom line. Is there a future for the Florida panther? I think so. They're very resilient animals to begin with. I mean, you find uh, panther species, you know, they're, they're all uh, pumas, cougars, mountain lions, et cetera. You find them in, uh, I think, every continent except Antarctica. They're very adaptable. They live in mountains. They live in deserts. They live in the swamps. Um, and so they can handle a lot. And they, uh, there was one that got... Uh, that was down, down in the Everglades, uh, and th this is a chapter in the book called The Wanderer, that it was the first one with a radio collar on to cross the Caloosahatchee River. Up to that point, a lot of uh, panther experts thought that panthers would not cross that river, that they were all confined to just that southwestern part of the state. Right. This one crossed the river and just kept going and, and zigzagged all over the place, crossed I-4, crossed US-27. Uh, he, he got across I-4? He got across I-4. Holy cow. He, he went all the way as far north as uh, uh, Disney's wilderness uh, area. And uh, he was captured by a no, dwarf and no, a princess. No, and... no, nor, nor was he attacked by uh, cartoon rodents. Uh, but he, they tracked him. You know, he still had the radio collar on. So they were flying up there and tracking him around. He, he went over to Daytona Beach. He went back. He came south again towards Port Charlotte. Eventually, the battery and the collar ran out. So they still don't know what, where he ended up. But he kind of showed that there's a lot more panther habitat in Florida than a lot of people knew, that there's habitat all over the state for them if they choose to use it. You actually sound hopeful. I think the ending of the book, it's not exactly a happily ever after, but it is a hopeful ending. Gotcha. All right. Our guest today has been Craig Pittman, author of Cattail, environmental reporter for the Tampa Bay Times. How would they get your uh, – you do that weekly favorite Florida Man story list. How would they get a hold of that? Um, I do a, a weekly author newsletter called Oh, Florida, the newsletter, named after my last book. And uh, uh, if people want to just – uh, send me their email address uh, and their name. I can add you to the subscription list. And my email is Craig Times, C-R-A-I-G-T-I-M-E-S at gmail.com. We'll do that. Thanks for joining us, Craig. My pleasure. Your calendar of events starts at noon when the House Ways and Means Committee takes up a bill placing additional restrictions on local governments that collect impact fees. At 1.30, the Senate Education Committee will hold confirmation hearings for four members of the State University System's Board of Governors and trustees of the 12 state universities. The Senate Innovation, Industry, and Technology Committee meets at 1.30 to consider a bill by Senator David Simmons that would tighten tobacco and vaping regulations. Basically, smoking, chewing tobacco, and using electronic cigarettes would be prohibited for anyone under the age of 21. The House Criminal Justice Subcommittee meets at 2 and will vote on Representative Jason Schoaf's bill that would prevent doctors from referring patients to hospitals in which the doctors hold investment interests. 
At three, the House Agriculture and Natural Resources Appropriations Subcommittee considers a proposal by Representative Sharon Pritchett to revamp a series of regulations about amusement rides. The House Local, Federal, and Veterans Affairs Subcommittee meets at 3 to debate Representative Mel Ponder's bill, allowing local elected officials to carry concealed weapons to their public meetings. The Senate Environment and Natural Resources Committee meets at 4 to hear a bill by Senator Tom Wright to increase penalties for bear poachers. The Senate Ethics and Elections Committee meets at 4 to hear Senator Joe Gruder's bill imposing term limits on school board members. Also at 4, the Senate Infrastructure and Security Committee will take up a bill by Senator Manny Diaz to bolster security measures at public schools. The measure includes recommendations from the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School Public Safety Commission and a state grand jury. And at 5.30, Chief Financial Officer and Fire Marshal Jimmy Petronas joins Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed to host a Florida Fire Service Award Ceremony. And it's time once again for the continuing adventures of Florida Man. A Florida man is charged with spray-painting a slur in the men's room of a pub in Melbourne, and I mean that quite literally. 24-year-old Paul Scott is accused of writing the word slur, S-L-U-R, on the wall in pink paint. He denied it, but police say they could hear the sound of aluminum cans in his backpack. Inside, they found cans of spray paint and an empty one that was still wet, with the same shade of pink as the slur inside the restroom. The charge there? Criminal mischief. And a Florida woman has been arrested after being accused of attacking her next-door neighbor in a dispute over a children's birthday party. Deputies say Amanda Dome of Port Charlotte was furious when the neighbor refused to allow her children to attend the party and attacked the woman. Dome's husband tried to calm her down, but the arrest report says she continued to kick and punch the neighbor as her hubby pulled her out of the house. That's it for today's edition of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg, reporting from Tallahassee, inviting you to tune in tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.